Donald Trump formally entered a plea of not guilty. That happens just happened minutes ago. He did it in a new court filing, and it means we won't see him inside an actual courtroom next week on September 6th when some of Mr. Trump's co-defendants are expected to be arraigned. Let's go to CNN's Zach Cohen. So, Zach, what exactly did the former president file? Yeah, Dana, um, Donald Trump pleading not guilty in this case, and it takes some perspective here. This is the fourth time Donald Trump has now entered a not guilty plea in response to criminal charges since he's left office um, just a couple years ago, and that's a pretty remarkable uncharted territory we're in now. But, you know, this is the most recent case, the one in Georgia, where he is charged with um, you know, allegedly trying to overturn the presidential election results there. It remains to be seen how this might impact a trial. There's a lot of moving pieces still that could determine timing. But look, the Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis, stands by her position that she wants to try Donald Trump and the 18 other co-defendants in this case all together. Trump is really just one of a handful of defendants who have entered a not guilty plea so far. But we do expect there will be more to come. And, you know, we'll, we'll, it remains to be seen if Fonnie Willis will be able to try all 19, including Trump, together at some point. Okay, thank you so much for that reporting. Appreciate it, Zach. Joining our conversation, CNN's Sarah Murray, CNN's Caitlin Polance, and former Georgia prosecutor Chris Timmons. I'll start with you, Mr. Timmons. You are down in Georgia. Uh, what is your take on why the former president chose this route this time? Sure. So um, there are two ways that an arraignment can happen. Um, and waiver is the most traditional way that, that an arraignment is going to go. People are going to waive. No one needs to come to court. You're not going to waste an attorney's time. Um, and uh, the alternative to that is what's referred to as formal arraignment. And I thought that former President Trump might try to do formal arraignment. Um, and that's the situation where uh, the judge or the assistant district attorney reads the entire indictment into the record. And at the end of it, then the defendant enters their plea, generally says not guilty. So here... Um, what benefit the, the former president might have had for a formal arraignment is that he could have come in, had the indictment read, and then made a very dramatic uh, statement of not guilty, perhaps leaning forward like he did in his mugshot. <laughs> However, this is a 90, what, 96, 98 page long indictment. Uh, so the former president would have had to sit there for approximately an hour and a half to two hours before he could have that dramatic moment. And of course, um, you know, probably all the cameras are turned yeah. away. So I think that's why there's a waiver. There's just there's there's no dramatic moment here unless you're hanging out for about two hours listening to somebody read. That might be true. Sarah Murray, you have covered Donald Trump for many years now. <laughs> and uh, it's the drama, the word drama that Chris used. It, it's a bit surprising that he is foregoing that drama. Yeah, he has to sit in the courtroom for an hour and a half. But he understands uh, the spectacle that he creates because he's done it now uh, twice in the four cases that he's had to deal with. And it's a bit surprising that he's not taking advantage of it since he believes it's helping him in the short term politically. Yeah, I do think he's realized it's not all that fun to go to court. <laughs> so he's he already got the sort of drama of showing up in Georgia to participate in this arrest, to get the mugshot that he, of course, has repurposed in a number of ways to make money off of. He's also been complaining very loudly that all the time he has to spend in a courtroom takes away from his ability to campaign and to hold the kind of events that he really wants to hold, which are these big rallies where all his supporters have gathered to cheer his name. So, you know, given the opportunity to perhaps be on the road and hold another rally versus sitting in a courtroom for the better part of the day, you know, with a number of his other co-defendants, I think uh, Donald Trump decided to skip it this time. That sounds very logical. <laughs>
Yeah, I mean, in this, usually in federal court, this is a state court case, so it's a little different. They bundle it all together, and the scintillating part is actually the bond agreement and the discussion of the release conditions and the arrest. That already happened. That's what we saw last week happen in Georgia at the jail. Sarah was over at the jail. I was at the courthouse. We saw all of this play out day by day. And so the not guilty part, uh, that is essentially a formality at this point, which is why it's being done on paper. But the thing that this does now that does make court exciting is that now that everybody gets their initial pleadings of not guilty locked in, this is when people start making choices. Do they plead guilty? I mean, we keep talking about this case as having 19 defendants. All of these people are not going to go in the same direction. And maybe they do all go to trial, but the likelihood of that that's just not how the criminal justice system functions. Okay, there's something else that we want to talk about, and that is that Rudy Giuliani is now joining the likes of Alex Jones. And in the eyes of the law, they are both liars who defamed innocent people. Judge Beryl Howell said that the former New York City mayor should have known better when he tried to take a shortcut around his legal obligations and around the truth, and it may cost him millions. Our expectation is that we'll be able to prove tens of millions of dollars in compensatory damages. Tens of millions? Yep, you heard me correctly. Now, Giuliani made the choice to not comply with discovery demands in a lawsuit filed by two Georgia election workers. And now he finds himself sanctioned, liable for those lies. Howell, the judge, wrote off Giuliani's legal excuses as having more holes than Swiss cheese. And that's... 50 years in litigation should, at least that's what he did when he was practicing as an attorney, it should have taught him that lip service will never satisfy a court of law. Former federal prosecutor Shan Wu joins the table as well. Shan, uh, what do you make of this decision by the judge when it comes to, this is a civil case right now going on in Georgia for these two women who were very much defamed and their lives were turned upside down. They described it in, in um, real detail when they were testifying before the January 6th committee. Yeah, it's not too surprising that the judge saw through uh, his defenses here. He really made sort of an odd legal move. He um, submitted this pleading. He called it really a, a nolo contendere pleading, which usually means there's no contest. And he basically admitted uh, that what he said was false, but he still wanted to say he had a right to say it under the First Amendment. So that's sort of a textbook case of defamation, <laughs> mm -hmm. that you know you're saying something false, and yet you strongly assert you have the right to say it. It's not like it was by accident or something like that. So I think that's really going to hurt him on the uh, damages issue. Compensatory, tens of millions, a little bit hard to figure out how they get to that. That's usually your out-of-pocket damages. You had an injury, you got mm -hmm. treatment, maybe mental distress counseling. But on the punitives, I think he's uh, looking at a world of hurt there because the judge is going to be pissed off at him. Chris Timmons, yeah, <laughs> it clearly already is. Chris Timmons, uh, you're down in Georgia where all of this occurred. What's your take on what the judge said to Giuliani yesterday? Sure. So the funny thing is I'm a former prosecutor, but I'm a current civil litigator here in Georgia. Um, you know, and so what the judge basically said is if you fail to obey um, the discovery rules, at some point there's going to be a sanction and that means that your answer is going to be struck. Mm -hmm. And so what happens at that point, once your answer is struck, we're down to one issue, uh, no longer liability, but rather how damaged were these poll workers. And so he's still entitled to a little bit of a trial at this point, um, or at least a damages hearing um, to, to figure out what those amounts are. Um, but that's a pretty serious sanction. That's, that's the highest sanction you can get 
in a civil litigation when you're a defendant is to have your answer struck. So that's a very big deal. I want to turn to something that Donald Trump said uh, on the Glenn Beck radio show, or maybe it was a podcast. He talked to Glenn Beck, and he was talking about the notion of when or if he becomes president again, how he will deal with his political opponents. You said in, in 2016, you know, uh, lock her up. And then when you became president, you said, we don't do that in America. That's just not the right thing to do. That's yeah, what they're well, doing. Do you regret not locking her up? And if you're president again, will you lock people up? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, the answer is you have no choice because they're doing it to us. I think this is not surprising, right? Coming from Donald Trump, he felt like even when he was the president that the attorney general should essentially be his personal attorney, that the Justice Department should basically act on whatever whim he wanted them to. And we've seen Trump's lawyers in a number of these cases go to court and say this is Joe Biden, his political opponent, coming after Donald Trump, even though the prosecutors in this case are special counsels who are appointed separately or are local prosecutors who you know are not reporting up to Joe Biden. So I think in some ways, while it's alarming rhetoric, it's also kind of the same stuff he was saying last time. Yeah, and also, as they're all saying, weaponization of the justice system, they're all complaining about this. Remember, there's different parts of the justice system. There's the Justice Department and the prosecutors that charge cases, but then there's the court system. It's separate. It is separate from the presidency, the executive branch, the justice system. And so all of these cases have to go through judges. That's a really important part of the step, essential. Such an important point. Thank you so much for the basics on checks and balances. <laughs> Appreciate it.